Welcome to Paranormal Almanac. With your host, Kurt Sandvig. I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and on this edition of Paranormal Almanac, let's talk some more about UFOs. That's right, we haven't talked enough about UFOs, so let's keep on keeping on. But first, as always, we have shout-outs. That's right, shout-outs go out to Izzard Breath, Dusty, Roger, Michael, Dustin, Matthew, Alicia, Derek, Becca, Josh, Alexis, Jen, Elizabeth, Voidtech, Steve, Sherry, Art Muffin, Trudy, Tim, Kenneth, Paul, Ricardo, Damian, and Daniel, Ian, Eric, Brandon, Jen, Alexandra, Simon, George, Connie, Seth, Christine, Jason, Hayden, Cindy, Kim, Kim, Adam, Ashley, what's that? Ian, Carrie, Ezram, Robin, Will, Jim, Kelly, Lauren and Phil Mangano, Russell, Tanya, Donald, Chris, Brandon, April, Seth, Isabel, Audra, Doreen, and Isaac, Cindy, Bob, Sean Bishop, Cole, Paula, Jerry, Leo, Austin, Lindsay, Hahn, Jennifer, Megan, Aaron, Amy, Jeff T, Harley, Suzanne, Joe, Lawrence, Lauren McCune, hey howdy, hi, Lily, Veronica, Nick, Autumn, J. Mark, Carolyn, Martin, Darth Pikachu, Jade, Nanashi, Megan, Heidi, Kira, Pablo, Chuck, Laura, Rutho, Todd, Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson, Juliana, Dan, Dill, Laura, Pitts, and gamer fan with a special shout out as always to Joe Teague. All righty, let's head on over to paranormal news. Paranormal, couple of weird ones in paranormal news this week. I'm not going to lie to you, um, but let's start with this one. This is for you sports fans out there. I know nothing about sports, so bear with me. Baker Mayfield sticks to UFO claims after Navy's confirmed photos. It's real. I saw it, he says. That's right. Baker Mayfield. Football? Let's say football. Um, he's sticking to his story. He's got the United States government backing him up. Mayfield insists that he and his wife, Emily, saw a UFO last month while out to dinner in Texas. Following the Pentagon's declaration that recent photos and videos of UFOs are real, the Cleveland Brown, oh, it is football, the Cleveland Brown quarterback feels validated. He says, I'm a firm believer in UFOs and Sasquatch. It's real. I saw it. I'm glad the Navy finally confirmed some more pictures. Now everybody doesn't think I'm as crazy, I believe. He tweeted out last month that he and Emily saw UFOs straight out of the sky while they were driving home from dinner. Almost 100%, Em and I just saw a UFO drop straight out of the sky on our way home from dinner. We stopped and looked at each other and asked if each other saw it. Very bright ball of light going straight down out of the sky towards Lake Travis. Anyone else witnessed this? Naturally, that led to plenty of jokes. Even Tom Brady got in on the action, saying, how do you know I've never seen aliens, Colin? Um, what? I don't, doesn't, it, it doesn't matter. 
The uh, It goes on to say that the Pentagon confirmed UFOs. You all know about that part of the story. It's just about this NFL dude that saw UFOs. So he did. All righty. Let's move on to the next story in paranormal news. Drop in UFO sightings in Manitoba during the pandemic. A new report shows the Canadians spotted an increase in UFOs last year, but not in Manitoba. According to Chris Rutkowski with Ufology Research in Winnipeg, a survey found that there were about 1.243 UFO reports in Canada. Is that, I'm assuming that's supposed to be 1,243, and it's just a horrible font. I'm going to go with that. About 1,200 UFO reports in Canada last year, an increase of 46%. Though he is not entirely sure, he said that the increase does have something to do with the pandemic. It does seem the Canadians are seeing more UFOs during the lockdown. One part of Canada, though, that isn't seeing an increase, as I've said three times already, is Manitoba. He said that there's been somewhere between 45 and 50 UFO reports in the province last year. The year before, there was more than 75. Manitoba has the most significant decrease, and we're not exactly sure why. Maybe we're a little bit more down-to-earth or grounded, I'm not sure, but for some reason, Manitoba bucked the trend. Now, the story goes on to say, why, are the, why the rise in Canada? He said one of the possible reasons for the rise in UFO sightings has to do with the fact that people are going outside more during the pandemic. They were forced to be in smaller venues or outside in their backyards, camping, that type of thing. So it certainly had something to do with the fact that people were out enjoying the night sky a little bit more. He also said it might be a psychological reason. Maybe there's something psychologically going on in the sense that we're feeling a little bit vulnerable because of the pandemic, and we're looking up. Maybe somebody up there has a resolution, or a, or a solution, I suppose. Um, so what are these UFOs? He says, I don't know. He did note that last year, only 13% of the reports didn't have an explanation, which is slightly higher than previous years. He said those unexplained sightings range from cases where people would see the triangular objects floating over their heads to unusual objects, a series of lights that performed aerobatic maneuvers that didn't seem to be created by airplanes and stars and satellites. Those are the ones that make you pause and think, what's going on? He does say he doesn't believe in the possibility... Oh, no, I'm sorry. He does believe in the possibility that there is life beyond Earth. There is no evidence to suggest that aliens are visiting us, though. Eh, well, screw that guy. All righty, up next in paranormal news. Russian officials admit staging bogus Yeti sightings to attract tourists to Siberia. So if you're one of those people that were like, Yeti sightings, and then you booked a flight to Siberia, and then the pandemic happened, and then you got trapped in Siberia, and now you're living in Siberia, listening to this podcast in some cave eating snow, well, joke's on you. Because the story says, Amin Tuliev, one of... Putin's long-serving regional leaders has capped to arranging bogus sightings of the Yeti to attract tourists in Siberia. Uh, Tulev, who's 76, was also governor of something from 97 to 2008. Doesn't doesn't matter. Uh, despite the Bigfoot-like stunt, the former presidential candidate says he doesn't rule out that Yetis exist, though. Many local hunters swear that they saw a two-meter giant with their own eyes in remote places covered in fur. Scientists have yet to be able to meet with him. Scientists have not yet been able to meet with him, but they seem to have found traces. I must admit, I confess, yes, it was I who fueled the interest in the Yeti. He goes on to say, initially he arranged an annual Yeti day and offered a cash prize for proving the 
creature's existence and efforts to boost tourism in the Shoraya Mountains. A 2011 video purported to show a Yeti at Mount Zelenaya in uh, Shergesh, sure, sorry, in the, um, uh, doesn't matter. According to the report, two years later, school children claimed, claimed to have spotted the Himalayan creature as well. People started coming, rushed to the, people started coming, rushed to scour the forest. Of course, no one found the Yeti, but Sharia attracted increased attention. Now they do show a, uh, there's, apparently there's a 2011 video that shows a Yeti at Mount Zelenaya, and um, it does look like a Yeti kind of behind a tree, but the fact that he's kind of behind a tree leads me to go, yeah, that's kind of fake. It does look like a Yeti suit, and it was. And he said when interest faded, he ordered Vladimir Makuta to find someone tall, throw off his office suit, turn a fur coat inside out, and run around shouting so that tourists notice, but they must not catch him. Pretty soon, visitors from around the world descended on Shariya, where an uh, international conference on the Yeti was held, with attention focused on the Azaskiaya Cave. Sure, why not? Supposedly a favorite haunt of the Yeti. I did not find any traces of the Yeti's habitation in this cave, and I did not dare to climb into the depths, he confessed. Although, strange footprints and hairs have appeared in the region, and he said, that wasn't us. In 2015, a local artist claimed that an eight-foot-tall, eight-foot-two Yeti holding a wooden stick had posed for him in the area. That seems nice. Um, let's move on. They show photos of the cave. It's a really big cave. It's cool-looking. I could see why a Yeti would live in there. Although Yeti hair that underwent DNA tests apparently been planted for experts to find, one was from a horse, another a raccoon, a third from a bear, according to the news outlet, nobody in the world has found the Yeti, but it's not to despair. Maybe he really wanders somewhere. What if you'll be able to meet the Yeti and write your name in world history? All right, what about that? Let's move on to the next story. This one's interesting. I really like this one. It's yet another story about the Tasmanian tiger. If it loads up, it's taking its own sweet time to load up. There has been another possible sighting of the thylacine. They said, is that a thylacine? Camera trap footage released, but experts dismiss claims of rediscovery. Basically, they say, you know what? Make up your own mind, which is not a scientific thing. Although I will say that the photo... It could be a cat, for all I can tell. It's a terrible photo. It's the back of something's head. looks like a kitten. But they said, is it the Tasmanian tiger or the thylacine? The scientific consensus is that it died in, as you guys know, in captivity in 1936. But there have been a lot of sightings lately, including a video to YouTube claiming he discovered a family of thylacines on camera traps set up in the Tasmanian wilderness. He explained he sent the footage to the Tasmanian Museum and Art Gallery for analysis by thylacine expert Nick Mooney. For 24 hours, the wildlife community was a buzzin'. But on February 23rd, Mooney released a statement explaining the creature snapped in the footage was most likely a Tasmanian patamelon. Patamelon? Sure. A short, stout marsupial similar to a wallaby. Nick Mooney has concluded that based on the physical characteristics shown in the photo... It's probably a patamelon. Really? Is it patamelon? Why have I never heard of a patamelon before? Damn you crazy Australians. The, uh, the footage has been released. 
he uploaded the video titled Thylacine Joey Photo, and he revealed the three images that he believes are the most likely the extinct marsupial and not a cat or a patamelon. I like saying the word patamelon, apparently. So, as always, if there is a video in the news story, oh, we're going to watch it right now. Holy crap, it's a 20-minute video. Everybody's hanging to see these photos, so I'm not going to mess around. I'll get straight on with the job of showing them to you. We've got a night image. Now, we've got two eyes and a set of ears down what? here and a Where? little face, tiny little thing. What? Then it gets really interesting. Oh, yeah. The animal no, that's a wallaby. comes into focus. That's a wallaby. Clearly no photoshopping or any editing going on here. What an interesting little face. Now, my vet with over 30 years' experience said there's no way that's a cat with a muzzle that long. No, look at those little rounded ears like and that broad head. Doesn't look like any quoll I've ever seen before. Certainly doesn't look like a cat. What is it? Who knows? All right. As much as I love listening to that guy, um, no. It, I mean, hey, who knows? It could be a baby thylacine. I've never seen a baby thylacine. I'm not a freaking expert. How the hell do I know? But they did say that given that the thylacine has not been seen for 85 years, the likelihood is something else. It is by far the most log logical conclusion. It could easily be a cat, a dog, a wallaby. Ooh, I said wallaby. Based on the images. I don't know what the hell a patamelon is, but uh, just once more for, for luck or for good times. Patamelon. It could be a patamelon. Alrighty, let's move on. In paranormal news. Heart making big plans for the World Myth Museum. A Farmington man with a unique eye for the unusual, along with the talent to match, is taking the first steps in fulfilling his lifelong dream of opening a museum that focuses on myths and legends. To turn his dream into reality, Kendall Hart has joined forces with John Burroughs, an expert in the field of museum studies, public, non-public, administrative, blah, blah, blah. He was creating a world myth museum. They, uh, they're doing it in downtown Farmington. I don't know where Farmington is. Um, I mean, there is a Farmington in Michigan, but I don't know if that's it. We'll continue on. He's well-known in the area for having created a series of life-sized mythological creatures that elicit a mixture of awe and admiration from all who see them. And they do show a photo of one of his creatures, and it's pretty freaking cool. It's a ginormous Bigfoot with a huge cone head. Um, and this is in front of the St. Francois County Ambulance District. So it doesn't sound like Michigan to me. With a Bachelor of Fine Arts, extensive study in graphic design, doesn't matter. Where's the museum? Oh, it's in Illinois. There you go. Um, the concept for the World Myth Museum had its roots in a successful traveling exhibit, Gardens of Myth. Gardens of Myth was a collection of life-size super-realistic sculptures depicting creatures of myth from around the world. These creatures are familiar today in popular culture and range in size from the tiniest of fairies to the incredible dinosaur-sized dragon. Now, he is going to have Bigfoot, goblins. He's going to have a bunch of stuff there. Kansas City's Powell Gardens hosted the exhibit. Maybe he's in Kansas City. I don't know where the hell this guy is, but it's cool. His work is really cool. Um, the World Myth Museum has officially launched operations. They started development. It's currently headquartered in Farmington. While we're in development and seeking a permanent location for the museum, we'll announce our local public events later this spring, but our top locations at the moment are the St. Louis metro area and Northwest Kansas. Asked about the visions, he says, 
We want to preserve and promote the stories that inspire our, inspire our world. We envision it as a premier organization for the exploration, collection, and sharing of cryptozoology, cultural legends, unexplained phenomena, and all things rumored to be part of the world, but yet proven to exist. I'm all, I'm all for that. Yeah, do this big kick-ass thing. And I'll, I'll be there. I want to do an episode from there. So hopefully, oh, for more information about the museum, follow the World Myth Museum on social media. That's World Myth Museum at Facebook.com and World Myth Museum at Instagram.com. Or go to MythMuseum.org. Myth. A GoFundMe account has also been set up for the museum at, uh, I don't know, just go to GoFundMe and search for World Myth Museum. You know, come on, they're not paying me. Okay, now for something just a little bit different. And by a little bit different, I mean a lot of bit different for paranormal news. There is a new story that just came out on Snopes.com that I had to read to you guys. And the story says, Is the Loch Ness Monster, not a monster, just a whale penis? The rumor is more plausible than it might appear. That's right. Is the Loch Ness Monster just a whale penis? Well, Snope says, mostly false. The most famous photo of the Loch Ness Monster, dubbed the Surgeon's Photograph, was a hoax that was created with a toy boat and some putty. It's possible that other sea serpent sightings throughout history, however, might have been misidentified as whale penises. And they go ahead and show you that, uh, you know, a whale's dick does kind of look like a sea serpent's head poking out of the water. Never thought I would say that sentence. Um, A number of explanations have been offered to explain a series of supposed sightings of a sea serpent at Loch Ness. Some have hypothesized that Nessie was really just a giant eel, probably, or possibly an odd-shaped log. I don't think so. Others held that Nessie was a prehistoric plesiosaur, very possible, that somehow survived extinction. But in April 2021, another theory was popularized on the internet. The Loch Ness Monster is really just a whale penis, with the photo of said whale penis. They go on to say, while the picture on the left shows the Loch Ness Monster. The picture on the right is of a whale's penis. Um, It doesn't look identical to me at all, but okay. I mean, who am I to know? All I got to say is what whale is swimming around in the loch just exposing its junk constantly? I mean, I haven't been to the Loch Ness, so who knows? Maybe that's the case. Let's go to the Loch Ness live cam right now and see if we can spot a whale penis. Ah, it's nighttime. It's nighttime there on the loch. There's pitch black. But the good news is no whale penis on the Loch Ness live cam. All righty, that about does it for paranormal news. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. We are back. All righty. On this edition, let's take a look at some UFO incidents in detail. Are they real? Are they fake? Spoiler, they're fake. But how easy is it to hoax a UFO encounter? 
not for just a second, not for like, hey, I took a photo of something in the sky and I posted it on my Facebook and everybody went, ooh, that's neat. I don't know what it is. No, I'm talking about really creating a believable UFO encounter, hoax, whatever you want to call it, and having people believe it, having the news sources believe it, getting hits online, social media believing it. How easy is that? Well, we hear all these real UFO encounters that have been confirmed in the news constantly. But I got a bunch of people that still message me saying, hey, they haven't said they're aliens yet. Oh, yes, they have. Go back and read everything that the government has said. They 100% have materials not of this earth. These, these vehicles were not created by man. They were aliens. Okay, all well and good. I know it's going to blow some people's minds in June when we finally get the information. Hopefully, fingers crossed, knock on wood, whatever you want to say. But what about the ones that can be, or better yet, have been debunked? Let's talk about those for a bit. Some people hate these kind of episodes. Some people love these kind of episodes. Let's do an entire UFO hoax debunk episode. <laughs> nope, that's not what I wanted. Yeah, the people have spoken. Debunked episode coming at you. Now, I will say, that now that I just got all of that out of the way, I will say that this first one has not been debunked yet, but it has the tail, tell the telltale. It has the telltale signs of a hoax, and you'll get what I mean when I read the second story on this edition. So bear with me through this first one. It hasn't been debunked yet. This first story started in two thousand one. No, no. No monoliths were discovered, no creepy baby floating in space to orchestra music kind of 2001. The boring 2001. The New Jersey Turnpike something weird happened 2001. The date specifically was July 14th, 2001. It was just after midnight when a string of lights appeared in a V over the Arthur Kill Waterway between Staten Island, <clears throat> pardon me, between Staten Island in New York and Carteret, Carteret in New Jersey. Doesn't matter. It's between New York and New Jersey over the Arthur Kill Waterway. Now, the police department's Lieutenant Daniel Tarrant was one of the eyewitnesses that very night. He actually stopped on the turnpike and watched these lights with a lot of other motorists. They all stopped to watch the lights too, which is bizarre if you think about it. Dozens of people stopping on a turnpike to watch whatever it was above them. Now, other metro area residents from the Throgs Neck Bridge on Long Island, Fort Lee in New Jersey near the George Washington Bridge, and around those areas all stopped and watch these lights too. So whatever it was, it was enough that they had dozens of eyewitnesses. Some sites say thousands. I'm going to just say dozens. Could be a lot of dozens. Could be two dozens. I don't know. But when questioned later by authorities, air traffic controllers said they didn't show 
anything on their radar and that no one, no known planes, I should say, no known military jets or space flights could have caused what everyone saw. What did they see? Well, gold lights hovered for a while, about 15 minutes, according to eyewitnesses, and then they just disappeared. These lights were in a V formation. They were actually taped on video, and they're just gold lights in a V formation, a V pattern. Now, they're seemingly hovering, but I will say, since it was after midnight, you can't really see the surroundings. In my personal opinion, I believe that these lights might have been slowly descending. Then 15 minutes later, they went out. Now, a spokesman for the Federal Aviation Administration said that there were no planned military operations in the area. Air traffic was light at the time of the reported sightings. He said no pilots flying in or out of Newark Airport reported seeing anything out of the ordinary. One of the half dozen witnesses that night, though, actually used infrared night vision goggles with a rangefinder to look at the lights. Now, he reported that the lights were about 1,800 feet up, which should have been just close enough to see the outline of a vessel if there was one, yet no UFO was seen. So it was just the lights. Colm Kelleher, sure, of the National Institute of Discovery Science, says that from what he's heard, it sounds like the Jersey lights were nothing more than a set of military flares. And I gotta say, spoiler, I kind of agree with him. Now, several witnesses, including that retired military guy who used the night vision, described a kind of flare out as the lights disappeared. Now, that military guy with the night vision goggles also said he saw smoke after the lights disappeared, which for me is the biggest piece of evidence, for me anyway, that it was the military flares that people were watching and not a craft, not a UFO. Now, for you skeptics, I will say that that flare theory is the same explanation given for the light scene over Phoenix. You know, those Phoenix light area in, what, 1997, I think it was? Um, so, yeah, skeptics, I get it. They said the same thing, but... No planes were seen dropping the flares over Phoenix. No smoke was seen over Phoenix. The Phoenix lights were seen by thousands of eyewitnesses, not dozens. And so, you know, there's some strong differences. I'll just put it that way between what happened over Jersey and what happened over Phoenix. Plus, the sheer size of the Phoenix lights formation was absolutely incredible. So again, for me... The flare theory really doesn't hold up at Phoenix Lights. I'm not saying it was 100% aliens, but I'm not saying it was 100% flares. All right, now why am I bringing this up in the edition? I just told you these are all going to be debunks. These are all hoaxes. Well, for two reasons, really. The first, the smoke, the smoke out or whatever of the flares, that really strongly points me towards this being a hoax. But it's also what happened in New Jersey in 2009 that makes me go, yeah, I think this is a hoax. This is the part two of the New Jersey story that I say you'll know what I mean when I get to it. All right. Jersey, 2009. It's called the Morristown UFO Hoax. So by the name alone, 
you should be able to guess this one is definitely a hoax. On Monday, January 5th, 2009, between 8.15 p.m. and 9 p.m., a series of UFOs were spotted near Morristown, New Jersey. They were red lights, five to be exact, seen floating in the sky silently. The red lights were later observed on four other nights, January 26th, January 29th, February 7th, and February 17th, all of 2019. But let's start with that first night, January 5th, 2009. 8.28 p.m., the Hanover Township Police Department and other nearby police departments receive a bunch of 911 calls. Morristown Police Lieutenant Jim Cullen alerted Morristown Airport because of all the possible hazards to airplanes with these lights that people were seeing in the sky. And the control tower said, hey, you look, we can see these lights, but they don't show up on our instruments, and we don't know what they are. There's nothing on their instruments, just some lights hanging in the sky. No idea what's happening. To add some wow to this story, two men from Morristown said they saw the lights while driving on Hanover Avenue in Morris Plains. They recorded several videos and still photos of the UFOs, which were posted on news stations, websites, YouTube, you name it. Now, their names were Joe Rudy and Chris Russo. They were even interviewed on News 12 New Jersey where they said, we were, driving over, we were driving on Hanover when all of a sudden we see these lights literally zip over our car. The lights seem to ascend and descend almost in a sequence. They would slowly rise up and then dip back down. So a family in Hanover Township reported also seeing these lights from their home, including an 11-year-old, Kristen Hurley, she saw it. Paul Hurley, who was a pilot, saw the lights and said, those aren't planes. So they take videos of the lights, which, again, these videos appear on several news broadcasts, including Fox 11, a whole bunch of people. And they said, or he said, I should say, Paul, Paul Hurley said, I've been in the aviation, aviation industry for 20 years. I've never seen anything like this. It's a little scary. little scary. Now, another Morristown resident said that he saw an L-shaped formation oscillating in the sky. He was interviewed by the Morris County newspaper, The Daily Record, and he stated what he saw, quote, didn't seem man-made. No way this could have been weather balloons. Hanover Township's health officer said that he saw the lights while walking his dog in Madison at 8.38 p.m. He said those lights did not appear to be flares because they did not leave trails. He also said... They sometimes appear to move against the wind. <clears throat> Pardon me. He was quoted as saying, these things were moving fast, holding formation and moving in different directions. I don't know what it was. The Morristown Police Department had stated that the lights were most likely road flares attached to helium balloons, but witnesses and residents did not believe it. They said, we are reasonably certain from what we're able to observe that these were red flares attached to a balloon. All right. Remember, like I said earlier, the lights were seen January 26th, 29th, February 7th, February 17th. So speaking of February 17th, that's when the largest incident, encounter, sighting, whatever you want to call it, occurred. When nine red lights were spotted that night, Captain Jeff Paul, a spokesman for the Morris County prosecutor, Robert A. Bianchi, Bianchi 
said that the federal authorities had expressed concern that the objects might be a threat to flights on their final approach to Newark Airport. Again, the FAA advised that they would issue an advisory to aircraft in the area, plus they were getting numerous 911 calls all throughout the evening. And a, from a bunch of different uh, counties, Morris Plain, Morristown, Morris Township, Hanover, Denville, Parsippany, Montville, and Morris County Communications, something. I don't know. It doesn't matter. So the lights appeared to be traveling north, and the air traffic controllers at Morristown Airport reported that they were uh, they appeared at about 2,500 feet, kind of like 1,800 feet, like the first one. All righty, so another person, Dorian Vincent, said the lights caused traffic to slow on Route 80 in Denville at 8.40 p.m. as people slowed or stopped to watch them overhead. They watched these nine lights, she said. They were scattered at first. I don't know who this she is. They were scattered at first. They were aligned in a straight line. That's when uh, a bunch of cars pulled to the side of the highway to try and capture the lights on video. It was the weirdest thing. Um, another person was interviewed by the media, said, if it's a hoax, it's a real good hoax. There were no flares, no streaks. They're almost as if they were communicating with each other. Officials with the Morris County Prosecutor's Office called the military and determined that no military flights were in the area. Prosecutor's Office also contacted the FAA, Office of Homeland Security, New Jersey State Police, everybody. So, sounds like a UFO, right? Well, again... I started it by saying it's a hoax. So, hold on. Despite being on news stations and videos and incredible eyewitness testimony from those two dudes, remember those two dudes that Jody, Joe Rudy and Chris Russo who said they saw them zigzag above them in their cars and all that fun stuff? Well, this is what happened two months later after that final night. On April 1st, 2009, Joe Rudy and Chris Russo admitted that they were responsible for the UFO sighting. That's right. Those two incredible eyewitnesses with the incredible stories of them zigzagging and going up and going down and flying in formation. Nope. It was them. They said they did it to show everyone how unreliable eyewitness accounts are along with investigators of UFOs. Now, they wrote an article in Skeptic Magazine all about it. They detailed how they did it, why they did it, provided links to videos showing their preparations, the launch, the media coverage, everything. You might be asking, okay, Kurt, well, how did they do it? Pretty easy, actually. Flares. That's right. Flare lights, or flares, were attached to helium balloons and released by them. It's just that easy. You tied some flares to a balloon, you released them. Now, let me pause right here to say, attaching flares to a helium balloon and then releasing them is a really, really fucking dumb thing to do. That's how fires get started all the time. Don't ever do this. So many wildfires are started by this type of stupidity, whether it be a UFO or one of those little like um, candle celebration things or gender release parties or whatever the stupid things are called. Look, bottom line is don't put flares on helium balloons and release them. Also, 
It wasn't even that good of a UFO hoax. It looks like flares floating, then going out. Not impressive at all, thankfully. So now do you see why I said, I think that first one from New Jersey is related to this one. Because in that first one, they saw the smoke. They saw the flares going out. This one, people didn't have a rangefinder or night vision or whatever the hell that were, but it's the same freaking thing. Instead of being gold, it's red, and five, it's nine, blah, blah, blah. It's the same flipping thing. Continuing with this story, though. April 7th, 2009, six days after admitting they did it. Joe Rudy and Chris Russo pled guilty to municipal ordinance charges of disorderly conduct and were sentenced to fines of $250 and 50 hours of community service. I think they got off light. But, again, not that convincing. This was in 2009. So are any of the ones that are on here going to be convincing enough to go, maybe, well, let's go back in time to 1967 to my favorite one. We're going to go over to England for this next hoax. Again, a way better hoax than the Jersey one. Now, it happened on the Isle of Sheppey. That really can't be what it's called. I'm sure it's sheepy or something, but I'm going to say Sheppey. Happened on the Isle of Sheppey, September 4th, 1967. Let's start with this one with an eyewitness to that very event in 1967. We all came running over, and there it was. I'm not going to do the English accent. I'm sure this kid had like a... We all came running over, and there it was. I'm not going to do that. Now, he said there was no two ways about it. It was there. It was the old flying saucer shape. It was silver, big dome, with the thing around the outside. He said, yes, it was a flying saucer. Now, that was seen by then-kid playing outside with other then-kids. Again, it was 1967. They're not kids any longer. Six flying saucers, 54 inches long, 30 inches wide, 20 inches deep. All right, so not exactly huge flying saucers, but I got to say, they look spot on. Picture a flying saucer from like the 60s TV show or movies or whatever. You know, that perfect flying saucer shape with the domes on the top and round on the outside. I mean, it's a fucking flying saucer. They were crazy cool looking. Again, I'll, I'll flip it over to, to meters. They were only 1.4 meters long, 0.76 meters wide, and 0.51 meters deep. So again, not huge, but they looked awesome. Each flying saucer weighed 100 pounds, emitted a weird electronic noise, and were located along the 51st line of latitude from the Thames Estuary, I think I nailed that one, to the Bristol Channel, Pretty sure I said that one right. Now, each one was equidistance, roughly equidistance from each other. One each at a new housing estate near Queensboro, on the Isle of Sheppey, Bromley Golf Course in South London, a horse paddock in Winkfield Village near Ascot, and the, villi- uh, the village of Welford near Newbury in Berkshire, Chippenham, Chippenham, I don't know, Chippenham, in Wiltshire, and on Dial Hill in Clevedon in Summers. 
guaranteed I mispronounced all of them. Look, here's the point. There's six flying saucers. They all weigh the same thing. They all weigh 100 pounds. They're all emitting a weird noise. They were all along the first 51st line of latitude, about equidistance from each other in those roughly areas that I butchered the names of. I seriously have to stop and say this again. They look cool. Classic UFO. If I could have one of these right now, just kind of hanging from the ceiling above me, I would. It's a freaking awesome looking flying saucer. But back to that kid from the beginning again, the then kid. He said the kids were just all excited about the aliens. We're all gathered around looking at the UFO near them when the police arrived. And he said, things got serious. They started coming up the hill, and as they started getting close to us, they started gesturing to us, all the kids to like, you know, move away, move away. He says, they were frightened, I think, almost as much as we were, if not more. Now, newspapers reported how the saucers were watched, listened to, weighed. These things were all taken away, all six of them. They were taken to police stations, one to a Royal Air Force base. Throughout the day, they started taking these UFOs away. The Sheppy saucer was removed by a Royal Air Force helicopter. The object found there was beeping and hissing and full of a mysterious liquid. So, what did they do with it? Well, the Army blew up the saucer. Oh, not that one, I'm sorry. The the Army blew up the saucer found at Chippenham. Chippenham. Now, another one, another one of the saucers was sent to the Atomic Weapons Establishment at Aldermaston and one to the Guided Weapons Division of the British Aircraft Corporation. I'm talking serious military and police shit happened to these UFOs. So, who did this one and why? Well... Great questions. I'm so glad you just asked me that so I can continue on this podcast. Here we go. It all started at Farnsborough's Royal Aircraft Establishment, RAE. Chris Southall came up with the idea of putting these, of, you know, planting these UFOs to see what the government plan was for aliens. It was that simple. He said, we thought the government should have some sort of plan if aliens actually landed. So we gave them a chance to try out whatever plan they had. But they didn't have one. That's what he said. He was surprised at the lack of planning, the preparation, everything. And he was really shocked when he heard they even blew one of his UFOs up. So how did he make these cool freaking UFOs? Well, they made the metal-coated fiberglass saucers by forming plaster molds of two halves then filled the two halves with the electronics. He said, when you turn the saucer upside down, it flipped a switch and started a battery. That started the beeping, the weird eerie noises that they heard coming from inside the UFOs. Then they also filled the flying saucers with a flour and water sourdough-like substance, which that fermented inside it. It turned into a foul smelling slime and even exploded when the saucers were drilled into. He goes on to say, we were putting them out in secret in the middle of the night in the early hours, and we didn't want to make like a, a noise until then. Basically, only when we left, we turned them upside down, and that's when that electronic noise would start, and then we got away quick. Now again, these saucers were filled with like a flour, water mixture, 
sourdough-like mixture, whatever you wanted to say. He said, we did that because we wanted to make something that looked really alien if they were opened. David Clark, who is a curator for the National Archives UFO Project, said, one of the saucers, when they actually drilled into it, because it was full of this compacted whatever-the-hell mess it was, actually exploded and showered the officers with this stuff. If it had been some kind of radiation hazard, what would have happened? It would have been a disaster. He said, so what did they do? Well, they just washed it down the drains. That was their big grand plan. They found a flying saucer, open it up, explodes on them, drill into it, it explodes all this crap that smells funky on them, and they just washed it down the drain. Engineer Raj Palmer, who was also on that committee, he said he organized two or three, two teams of three or four apprentices. He organized teams, I'm sorry, he organized teams of two or three apprentices to take the saucers to each location. And he told the guys, look, here's what you're going to do. Take them out there. The very last second, you flip them over, you get the hell out of there. If you're stopped by the police, just be like, oh no, we're just, you know, we stayed out late at a party. We're just on our way back home but nothing happened. He said, they all got away scot-free. They all flipped their UFOs over. They all started making weird beeping noises. They all started being found throughout the day. And that was it. So the police figured out their hoaxes pretty much after the third or fourth one or the sixth one. Once they really started investigating, they oh yeah, these are obviously man-made. It was confirmed almost immediately that day. The news stories really didn't get out that there's a bunch of UFOs. It was more of, hey, there's a bunch of fake UFOs or there was a UFO hoax. So it didn't even last a day. And amazingly enough, there was no action taken against the kids that did it. One Bromley cop said, we're taking it like gentlemen. That guy, Chris, from the beginning, the guy that, that you know, did devised this whole thing. He said, you know, those were hippies days. We were apprentices from the RAE and people had a kinder attitude to us because of who we were. And in those days it was different. Now he says the saucers would be treated as explosive devices and detonated and the hoaxers would have ended up in jail. He goes, that's one of the interesting things looking back on this 50 years later, the time we live in now, they're much harsher. I don't think we could do it now. We'd all end up in trouble. So, there you have it. A bunch of cool-ass students making some bunch of cool-ass UFOs that did fool the military and the police, but again, only for a day. Now, there were some stories or some sites that said that the college donated money to a charity as part of the hoax and the trouble that they caused. I can't really find out too much, like if it's 10 bucks, 50 bucks, if they were ordered to do it, anything like that, but I thought that was pretty cool as well. So... Again, a much better one than a bunch of flares on balloons. It still really didn't fool anybody, though. Okay. When I was going through this episode, figuring out what to add and what not to add, I, uh, I was going to add something called the Ilkley Moore Alien Photo. It's from 1987. It's a bizarre-looking photo of some alien-looking alien, a bunch of rocks on the side of, like, a moor, called the Ilkley Moor. That's why I think it's a Moor. Um, it's a bizarre looking photo, but I don't know what to believe on this one. 
I'm going to put this in an honorable mention, but it needs more investigating by me or you before I conclude it as completely fake or completely real. It's a really divided line. There's some people that just go, oh, it's some, you know, I don't know, a plumber or whatever. Some, some guy was coming to look at somebody's house and then someone down the way took a photo and this guy just happens to look exactly like an alien. What? All right. Then there's other sites that go, look at this thing. It is clearly an alien. There was a guy that took the photo and he said he watched the alien. The alien kind of waved at him to stay away. Then the alien got in a UFO and the UFO flew away. And this guy watched the alien and the UFO fly away. And he's the best guy in the world. You know, like, I don't know what to believe on this one. So again, honorable mention to the Ilkley Moore alien photo from 1987, but it does not belong on this episode. So with that said, let's move on to one that happened April 1st. 2010. All right, look. I shouldn't have to go any further than this one happened on April 1st, 2010. Never believe any news stories printed on April Fool's Day. Yet here we are. Okay. It's a bizarre one. A Jordanian newspaper called El Gad printed a news story, El Gad, I don't know, El Gad, I'll say, printed a news story saying UFOs had landed in a desert close to the town of Jafar. Jaffer? Jaffer. Jaffer. J-A-F-R. Now, they said that these alien pilots were three meters tall. That's 10 feet tall. And they all had, um, and that all communications, I should say, went down as soon as the UFOs touched down. In fact, when the UFOs were landing in this town of Jaffer, they said that it lit up the entire town and that townspeople ran out to the street to see what was happening and gripped their kids in fear. And it was a crazy experience. So that's it, right? Someone printed this news story and then that was it? No. No. After word got out about the article alone, the people of Jaffer... I got to figure out how to say this town's name. I keep saying it wrong. How to pronounce Jaffer. How to pronounce Jaffer. Here we go. You ready? Oh, this is Zaffer. I don't want Zaffer. I want Jaffer. All right. It's saying Zafar. So it's saying I should be calling it Zafar. So we're just going to go with Zafar. Really? Is that right? El Jaffer. El Jaffer is a city in the Mon government of Jordan. How do you pronounce El Jaffer? And why is it only pronounced Jaffer in the news article? I bet you it's Al Jafar. I'm going to say it right now, but I want to be sure. And it doesn't say. All right, fuck it. It's not my fault. It doesn't give me how to pronounce. So I'm going to say Al Jafar. Now, the people of Al Jafar freaked out when word got out about the article. The people in the town that this article was about that supposedly saw this entire thing and the UFO touching down and a whole town was lit up, all that jazz. Nope. They freaked out when they heard about the article, even keeping their kids home from school for fear that a UFO had landed in their town. All right. Let me pause right here to say that if you told me, if you say, hey, Kurt, last night in Burbank, a UFO landed and aliens got out. 
I wouldn't just, you know, believe you and take stitch and go hide in the basement. I don't have a basement, but you know what I mean? I wouldn't just believe you. I would ask around or check the internet, talk to my neighbors, go and see it. You know, I wouldn't just start freaking the fuck out. Not in Al Jafar though. There, Mayor Muhammad Mlan notified security authorities and prepared to issue an evacuation order for the entire town of 13,000 residents because he heard about the article. Yeah. He then noted, residents were, quote, scared that aliens would attack them. So then what happened? The newspaper just went, ah, April Fool's. And then apologized for the story? Nope. They literally just went, oh, God, we're sorry. No, this is a joke. I am so sorry. It's, we apologize. None of this is real. Calm down. Everybody take a breather for a second. It's not real. The mayor was going to evacuate a whole town based on a story he didn't even read from April 1st. All I got to say is never show the townspeople of Al Jafar the Onion website. They would lose their shit. All right. Let's move on. Let's move past that town that I can't pronounce. Let's talk about another, about the other Roswell. I should put it that way. Because again, you can't have a UFO episode without another Roswell type story popping up. There's always, you know, this is the other Roswell. Well, here's that story. The year was 1948. Frank Scully wrote a story for Variety Magazine. Yeah, that Variety Magazine. The big magazine still running to this day. 1948. So he writes an article for Variety Magazine. Now, let me pause right here to say a ton of websites still say this next story you're about to hear is real. It's not real. It's been proven fake repeatedly. Yet a ton of websites regurgitate the same nonsense forever. So, I'm going to say this really slow. The Aztec New Mexico UFO crash of 1948 is fake. It's fake. Alrighty, so what did good old Frank write about? Well, here it is, in a nutshell. March 1948, a UFO containing 16 humanoid-like alien bodies was recovered by the military in New Mexico after making a controlled landing in Hart Canyon, 12 miles northeast of the city of Aztec. The craft was said to be 99 feet in diameter, the largest UFO to date. Sure, why not? Scully said that he had two sources— Silas M. Newton, and Leo A. Gebauer, who told them the UFO crash had been covered up and that the, quote, military had taken the craft for secret research. He was also told that these UFOs and others already in the government's possession, presumably one from Roswell, came from Venus and flew because of, quote, magnetic principles. 
All right. Supposedly, and again, not supposedly, this is a bullshit story. Frank says, the UFOs were stocked with concentrated food wafers and, quote, heavy water for drinking purposes, and that every dimension of the UFO was divisible by nine. All right, sure. All right, so this was published and then republished and then republished and republished a bunch, a bunch, a bunch, a bunch. In fact, to this day, really, because it's all over a bunch of freaking websites, republished again, but including January 6th, 1950, an article was published in the Wyandotte Echo, which is a Kansas City, Kansas legal newspaper. Uh, it was also added to Frank's book in the 1970s, and shockingly, this is true, was distributed in an FBI document called the Hodel Memo, H-O-T-T-E-L, Hodel, Hodel, doesn't matter. This memo contained the report of a man named Guy Hodel, Hodel, who was the FBI agent in charge of the Washington Field Office at the time. Washington Field Office at the time. It was addressed to J. Edgar Hoover and was also indexed in the FBI records. Now, it was an unclassified document, but... A lot of ufologists point to this document, the hotel, hotel, memo, whatever, however it's pronounced, as proof that the Aztec New Mexico crash was real. Except, with just a little research, it was found that the memo quoted the Wyandotte Echo article exclusively, which again, was just a retelling of the article, which is a retelling of the article, which is a retelling of the article that Frank wrote for Variety Magazine. A known hoax story from Frank. But not over yet. Remember Silas Newton and Leo A. G oh, let me, before I get to that, let me, let me stop right here for a second. I should say, a lot of people are right now are probably saying, hold on, why is it in the FBI records? Well, this field agent heard about it or read it. I think he read it pers personally. I think he read it because how it was almost exactly like what was in that article. But that was the thing to do back then. You hear about a UFO, you send it in to the FBI, the Washington field office at the time. The Washington field office got a lot of memos from agents about, hey, we heard this really bizarre story. Sure, it was addressed to J. Edgar Hoover, but a lot of shit was. That is not telling. That is not damning evidence that this is a real UFO story. All right, that being said, hi, Stitch. How's my boy? This isn't over yet, because again, remember Silas Newton and Leo A. Gabauer? Well, these two doofuses, they're actually real. And even though they made up the UFO story with Frank... They actually traveled to Aztec, New Mexico to sell doodle bugs. I'm sure you're asking, well, what the hell is a doodle bug, Kurt? Well, it's just a device that can find oil, gas, and gold. You know, a doodle bug. You don't got a doodle bug? Man, you, you get yourself a doodle bug, you can find oil, gas, and gold. How does it work? Well... Doodlebugs are based on alien technology. Shut up, man. I'm trying to say something. 
Doodlebugs are based on alien technology recovered in a UFO crash. What crash? That's right. The Aztec New Mexico crash, motherfuckers. So a local reporter asked them for a piece of the metal. And shockingly, these two doofuses gave it to him. And when that reporter had it analyzed, turned out to be a piece of aluminum. That's it. Just a little piece of aluminum. Shut up, new computer. You'll be restarted when I want to restart you. Um, it's just a little piece of aluminum. So not only did they lie about the UFO, they then went back to that town and tried to make a profit off it by selling bits of aluminum, calling them doodle bugs. Now, I will say, I kind of want a doodle bug. I really do. I know it's fake. I know it's bullshit. But... I kind of want to put a doodle bug on the shelf behind me. So when I do the live shows and all that stupid shit that's behind me, one of that stupid shit would be doodle bug, man. I'd be like, oh yeah, that's a doodle bug. Seriously, I'm going to slap you, new computer. You keep giving me alerts. All right. So, like I said earlier, even though this whole story has been proven false, this story is the story with the most legs. It is still being regurgitated as fact with no evidence at all. There are sites, tons of sites that say it's real. There are books that claim this crash is real. No evidence has ever come to light about any crash. And obviously those two eyewitnesses are a couple of scam artists and Frank admitted, hey, this is all a scam. I was just writing this fun article so I could get printed in Variety magazine. But even with all of that, people still think it's real. All righty, let's move on to a more recent one. In fact, I remember when it first, when I first found out about this one. How long did this one take before I went, that's bullshit? Well, about three minutes. This is the story from 2011. Came out of Russia. There was a video that popped up on YouTube of two Russian men finding a frozen alien corpse in the snow. You guys remember that? If not, check the Facebook page because I'm sure I'm going to post it. All right, here's a, here's a bit from that video. You ready? I don't speak Russian, so it's, it's snowy. Looks like Russian. As much as I know what Russia looks like. That guy's wearing a Russian hat. He walks past the dude in a Russian hat. There's like a tree. There's a hole underneath the tree. Oh, oh, there's something in the hole. Let's get closer. Boy, you said it. The tiny alien. A little tiny, tiny alien. How small? So, not even small enough to fit, well, about small enough to fit in that cool 1960s fake UFO that I love so much. All right, so this tiny little alien dude, he's laying in the snow. He's got his left arm ripped off. Both of his legs aren't really visible. One looks like it's been ripped off. I don't see a hand. He's kind of like leaning his head over to the left. Grayish colored alien with some tan colors bits to him. Let's keep going. It's only a minute long. Oh, they're zooming in. You can see some, like, chunky stuff. Head looks good. I'll give him that. The head does look good. The legs looks like chicken, but we'll get to that in a minute. The head looks good, though. Oh, you can see some veins. 
you can see some chicken fat kind of looking stuff. No hand. Looks like a wing to me. All right. All right, that's enough. That's enough of that nonsense. All righty. So even though it didn't look very good, it's not very convincing. This video has over 12 million views on YouTube. I think for Paranormal Almanac, I think 60 is the most views that I've gotten for listening to a podcast. But let's read some of the comments. I can tell it's real. Uh, poor little guy, RIP. Now I saw Nazca mummies. I think there's a similarity in posture and head. If those mummies prove genuine after all, then we must examine further this footage and its creators. Um, alien, incredible. If my government does not want me to view this channel, why is it still online? I don't know, dude. You know what I really hate? When people plaster gigantic messages into the middle of the video, begging people to subscribe and other stuff. Why simply do that? I don't know. Let's see. As a Russian, I can tell for sure these guys are not faking it. Whatever this body is and whoever put it there, the guys who found it are not joking. Their speech is too down to earth for it to be shits and giggles on the internet. Oh, yet you're wrong. Um, what a... Amazing what special effects can do. Let's see. A bunch of them in, in Russian. I can't read that. Looks pretty authentic with the froze skin and veins from frost damage would look similar to some major cases of corpses found in snow and ice. But I'm assuming they never found the craft. Very realistic. Um, so creepy. It's real. I knew it. Only in Russia, human kills aliens. All right, so there's just on and on and on and on and on it goes. That, you know, it's real. I can't believe people aren't disliking it. This video is real. Well, how do we know it's fake? I'll tell you why. Because in Russia, you don't want to fuck around with saying you found a body in the snow and put it up on, the, on YouTube. Why? Because when the video went viral, police started to investigate the incident. And when they started asking questions, the guys went, oh, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. It was a fake. It was a joke. We just did it to get views on YouTube. The aliens made out of breadcrumbs and pastry stuffed into a chicken skin. Yep. Don't fuck around in Russia saying you found a body. And when the police come to investigate and question you, you better admit it real goddamn quick. Now, again, I got to say, the head looks pretty damn good. The rest of it does look like a bunch of junk stuffed in a chicken skin. But sorry, every commenter that believes this obviously fake video is real and it's just the Russian government trying to squash it, it's not real. Never has been. It's fake. It's a chicken. The guys admitted it because they didn't want to get busted for finding a fake body. All right, let's move on to another Jersey UFO sighting. Now, it really seems like I'm picking on New Jersey on this episode. I swear I'm not. Look, it's not my fault that people fall for this stuff. In fact, this one I actually talked about before on a previous episode, if not a couple of episodes. 
In fact, I think it even made paranormal news. Happened in 2020 when a very large UFO with blinking blue lights moved slowly across the sky and scared a crap ton of people in New Jersey. This one, though, this is a very short one. This one, though, had a very common explanation. It was the Goodyear blimp. Nothing more, nothing less. A bunch of people went, holy shit, this is a UFO, look at it. And there's a ton of videos of that. And maybe for 10 seconds, 30 seconds, a minute at most, I went, oh, wow, wow, I don't know what the hell that is. And then I went, oh, yeah, it's a blimp. And then the next day, everybody was like, yep, it was a blimp. So that one lasted for about a day. The Russian one lasted for a few days just because it took that long for the police to find them. Okay. One final one for this episode. A classic one from 1950. That's fake, but to this day, people still question whether it's real. So this one has lasted the test of time for all the ones on this list. Okay, not the first guy to do this, definitely won't be the last, but a bunch of photos of UFOs were taken and fooled the world. The photos were taken by Paul and Evelyn Trent near McMinnville, Oregon in 1950, uh, May 1950 to be exact, the photos showed UFOs flying over their farm in Sheridan, Oregon near McMinnville. Now these photos were so convincing, they actually were published in Life Magazine. So kudos to these guys. That's the most prominent one yet, really. It was also, these photos were published in just about every newspaper across the country, even some international newspapers. They got big, big from this. All right, here's the story. May 11th, 1950. Evelyn was walking back to her farmhouse after feeding her rabbit, rabbits in the afternoon, late afternoon, when she looked up and saw a slow-moving metallic disc. She freaks out. She yells for Paul. He comes running outside from the house. Says, what? She points up. He looks at it. Goes, holy crap, a UFO. Uh, hold on. Runs back into his house, grabs his camera, starts snapping pics. Or, her and Paul were outside. They look up. They don't see what time of day. They're outside. They look up. They see a UFO. Paul runs to the house. Can't find his camera. Runs to the car. Finds his camera. Takes a photo. Or, Evelyn and her father were outside. Both see a UFO. Paul comes running out. Father goes running in, grabs the, the camera, hands it to Paul. Paul takes him for Look, there are actually a few different versions that the Trents told when it happened. Every news outlet that came by around that time got a slightly different version. But remember, it's all bullshit anyway. It's good enough for this edition, so let's keep on going on. So in this uh, bullshit story, they went, oh, that was crazy, that was cool. They watched it for a while, and they took some photos, but they didn't finish the roll of film. So, being that it was 1950, I guess, they put the camera back in the house, took some more photos on Mother's Day, and it wasn't until they finished the roll of film after Mother's Day that they get the film developed. Everyone said, 
the photos were, quote, so incredible. The local town said, holy crap. The guy that developed the photos went, holy crap. Everybody freaks out that these photos were actually put on display in the local town. That's when the newspapers come calling. June 8th, 1950. The story in two of the photos were published as a front-page story in the McMinnville Telephone Register. The headline read, At long last, authentic photographs of flying saucers. Actually, it's probably like this. At long last, authentic photographs of flying saucers. Now, the story in the photos were then picked up by the International News Service, sent to other newspapers around the nation. Finally, Life Magazine published cropped versions of the photos on June 26, 1950, along with a photo of Trent and his trusty camera. So the Trents had been promised that the negatives would be returned to them. However, they were never returned. Life magazine said, oh, crap, we misplaced the negatives. Don't worry, we'll get back to that in a minute. The negatives were found. When they were found, that's when people started noticing something. Actually, even before that when people started reading all the different newspaper interviews that they had with the Trents. And they started noticing the different stories that the Trents were saying. And that the Trents were saying, hey, you know what? We've never, ever cared about UFOs. We didn't even believe in UFOs. We didn't care anything about them darn flying saucers until we saw it. More on that in a moment. So people started investigating the photos. First thing they notice, there's a shadow on the house in the photo and it showed it was taken in the morning, not the evening. Oh, ho, ho. What the hell, Paul and Evelyn Trent? Then they noticed that the object was right below power lines, almost like it was hanging from power lines. Then they started to investigate the Trents themselves, and it turns out they did know about UFOs. In fact, they loved UFOs. They were fascinated by them. All right, that's not exactly damning, but again, the Trent said, we were not interested in UFOs. We didn't want anything to do with them prior to the photos. Then a bunch of people started going, like a committee really, started going, this version of the story is different. This version of the story is different. This version of the story is different. Let's ask the Trents why there's different versions of the story. What did the Trents say? Well, they couldn't explain why their stories kept changing. Then, someone, I wish I knew who, I'd give you credit right now, but someone noticed that the UFO looked a hell of a lot like a side mirror from a 1961 Ford F-100. And guess who owned one of those? Although, I will say, it's not a perfect match, but it's pretty damn close. It does look like a side mirror. I'm not convinced it's a side mirror from a 1961 Ford F-100, but people online are, so I'm putting that in here. But it does look like a side mirror hanging from fishing line from a power line. Hold on, i got to take a drink. <clears throat> you still there? All right, good. Then, April 2013, three researchers posted two studies to a website called Back to McMinnville Pictures and Evidence of a Suspension Thread. They say, the geometry of the photographs is most consistent with a small model with a hollow bottom hanging from a wire suspended from the power lines above them. 
they stated that they had detected the presence of a thread above the object. Their conclusion, quote, the clear result of this study was that the McMinnville UFO was a model hanging from a thread. Yeah, there you go. Again, even with all of that, tons of websites and books and ufologists all say the McMinnville UFO photos UFO photos are some of the best known photos of UFOs ever taken by anyone. Like I said, not the first, definitely won't be the last fake UFO photo ever taken. But back in the day, the most common way to make a convincing fake UFO in pictures were outdoor lamps. Like the ones that like hung from like the side of a barn. Hubcaps. Pie tins. Pie tins. And other home objects like pots and pot holders and pot pans and pans holders and pan lids and pot lids. You name it. If you could find it around the house and throw it up in the sky like a Frisbee and take a photo of it, you got yourself a fake UFO photo. All righty. That about does it for this edition of UFO Hoaxes. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. It's a little bit longer episode, actually. I just looked down and saw the time. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed this one. It's a really cool one. I like to go back and show the hoaxes. But again, 99% of these stories didn't even last a day or a week or a month. Sure, there's a lot of people that still believe the one from 1950. It's got the most legs. But most, if not all, UFO hoaxes are discovered relatively soon after the hoax is released to the public. So all you people saying every UFO photo is a hoax, is a fake, is a chicken, is a F-100, uh, uh, 1961 Ford F-100 side mirror, they just aren't. Sorry, everybody. The U.S. government has already come forward to say they have, man, they have, made, they have materials not man-made. They have spotted things that are well beyond our capabilities. Objects that are intelligent, that are craft, doing things they cannot explain. They are not the Chinese. They are not drones. They don't know what these things are, how these things are propelled, how these things are doing what they're doing. There is no explanation. They said they are working on materials recovered from crashes, and these materials are not of this earth. That's a quote from them. UFOs are real, everybody, despite what a lot of people want to tell me all the time. These UFOs are not real, despite what a lot of people online still say to this day. There you have it. Once again, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac.
Ni bebo fawi fas tagwi mu bro fkes ne ax sedne ne pa